Hello everyone, welcome to Middle Child Make Theatre, our new podcast about the nuts and bolts of making theatre and running a company. I'm Paul Smith, Artistic Director, and every month I'll be chatting with one of our collaborators to get into the minutiae of theatre, demystifying how theatre is made across all areas. Our second podcast guest is the brilliant Danielle Harris, who works as both a deputy stage manager and a stage manager, most recently working with Middle Child on our production of The Canary and the Crow. Danny, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. This is really exciting. Uh, it's not often the stage manager gets to come out and do an interview. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I oh, know it's really great to have you on and uh, we're really, really happy to hear more about your job and how you do that. Um, but before we get stuck into that, would you mind just kicking off and telling us a bit about how you got into theatre? Yeah. So, um, this is going to feel like a really funny story because I'm going to be like, back when I was in college, <laughs> um, I... Uh, wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do. So I took A-levels that were a mix of things because I wanted to keep my options open. But one of the A-levels that I did take was theatre studies. Um, As part of that, we had a devising module, which basically um, the only sort of uh, criteria was that it had to be a certain amount of time. Everything else was up to you. Uh, So as, as part of that module, it gave me a chance to do a bit of directing, do a bit of script writing, uh, come up with costume ideas, set ideas. Uh, we sourced our own music and things like that and worked with the um, technician in our theatre that we had at college, which we were really lucky to have, to um, come up with lighting design and AV as well. So that really gave me a... Um, introduction to theatre that I hadn't ever had before because usually for example when I did GCSE drama you only really got to do it from the perspective of a performer so yeah I um, got introduced to that and then I spoke to my um, my college tutor because I was like I really like making theatre but I don't really know what about it it is that I like or what it is I specifically want to do Um, and they recommended uh, looking at Hull University's degree because at the time that I went there they were doing a drama and theatre practice degree which basically um, was a course that sort of allowed you to pick and choose between disciplines so for example the ones that I went to do were uh, lighting, directing, stage management, digital performance and theatre for children which is a bit of a mixture of things and I just um, preferred to go for a course like that that would allow me to try out things as opposed to going to a drama school where I could specialise in one thing for three years because as I said I wasn't 100% sure what specific role it was that I really enjoyed doing I just knew that I liked making theatre so yeah I went to uni and then while I was at uni I got really stuck in into extracurricular Um, opportunities as well as the modules that I was doing um, because it would just give me more opportunities to try out different roles so for example I did a bit of sound as well which wasn't um, a module I did but it was something that I got to do through extracurricular and then while I was at uni I just wanted to make connections in the city because um, I really liked the companies that I'd seen um, that were around in Hull um, and for example, I was aware of Hultrick Theatre and really early on in my first year, there was like a um, a sort of talk that was hosted with local companies and local theatre makers and things like that, where they came to introduce themselves to students. So um, after that, I um, just basically looked out for every opportunity that was available in the city and just got stuck in. And then here I am now, a few years later. 
Brilliant. Thanks, Danny. And, um, you know, we'll talk as we go about uh, some of the work you've been doing and some of the roles that you've been working in. Um, but just before that, we, we like to kind of bookend these opening two questions. Um, so if you wouldn't mind telling us a bit about how you describe where you're at at your career at this moment. So from that point that you just described, where are you today? Yeah, so obviously the pandemic influenced things a little bit, but where I was before the first lockdown, I was about two to three years into like doing full-time stage management. I was at a point in my career where I was regularly getting booked to do DSM work and stage management work, which was really exciting. And um, I just, before the pandemic as well, uh, got my first production manager role, which was of course with Middle Child. So honestly, I am still very early in my career because in terms of like years of experience, I have like, under five years of experience in this, uh, but a lot of the people I come across have been in the industry for like 20, 30 years that are doing stage management. So re realistically, I'm early in my career, but I'm very, I'm at a point that I'm really happy uh, with where it's going because I'm getting regular stage management jobs um, and I'm getting to sort of push my, um, push myself and go for roles like production manager, CSM and things in applications. But uh, I, I'm aware that that's quite ambitious being where I am in terms of years of experience. That's great. Thanks, Danny. And, and you know, we've worked together a few times over the years and uh, in, in various different roles and um, really looking forward to just kind of zooming into some of those roles today because um, the, the whole point of this podcast really is to just go a little bit deeper and talk about the specifics and talk about the processes and talk about the ways that people do their jobs. So if we start, first of all, with uh, what it means to be a deputy stage manager. Yeah. So um, one thing it's worth mentioning about my experience is a lot of my stage management experience is being a stage manager on the book. So my experience crosses over quite a bit um, compared to the traditional DSM and stage manager roles um, that you might come across on like bigger commercial theatre. Um, so I just thought I'd say that to begin with, because a lot of um, my answers might end up overlapping a little bit. But in terms of being a DSM, I would say it's about being the person in the rehearsal room that is representing sort of every department in terms of information and in terms of cohesion. So often I'm the one that's listening out for little snippets about information to do with uh, things that might influence other departments, uh, whether that's costume, props or lighting or sound. So yeah, I would say the DSM is the one in the rehearsal room that's sort of listening out for that information. Yeah, that's that. That's a really perfect summary. I can really like. I, I really understand that. And having been in the room with yourself and with other, you know, deputy stage managers, you, you really get a sense that it's hard work, obviously. But you, having to also listen to conversations that sometimes people aren't directly, you know, including you in, uh, or maybe aren't even aware that what they're saying has an impact on lots and lots of different areas. So it's a big part of that that you just spoke about being kind of just alert at all times and, and <laughs> always being ready. Yeah, my um, my stage man management lecturer at uni joked about one of your job roles is eavesdropping. <laughs> and I was like, okay, interesting. But I, I understand what she means now that I've had more experience in it professionally because um, especially because some of my background is um, technical work as well. Um, it's been really helpful because there's little things that I notice uh, that is said in conversation casually where I'm like, actually, that will create an extra 
maybe 10 cues for this lighting designer or might be a be a light bit of lighting equipment they hadn't considered rigging if for example they're like oh we'll highlight you here um while you stand in this position and it's like oh actually i've seen their lighting design and there isn't any fixtures that will do that so i need to talk to them and get that updated and um you know is there a certain level of confidence that that comes with you know having to eavesdrop and pop into conversations and sort of interrupt and say oh sorry can i also be part of this does that take time or was that something you were quite keen to do from the beginning um it definitely took time because um especially as i said because i'm quite early on in my career still part of the job is definitely like managing people and having people skills so um in a room with new people that I've not worked with before. I'm definitely more shy to <laughs> sort of be a part of those conversations because I don't want to interrupt the creativity or if they're like kind of having a breakthrough, I don't want to interrupt that flow. But also I, w I will sort of judge it. And if it's something that I can just listen in with, um, then I will do that. But if it's something that actually I then need to ask some more questions, I'll try and do that in an appropriate way, whether that's just as the conversation's happening or if it's at the end of the day. So for example, um, making a note of it and then at the end of the day saying, you mentioned this by the way, earlier in the day, I just had a couple of questions about it. If, if that's a better option than yeah, joining the conversation at the time, but it definitely takes confidence, I think. Brilliant. Um, so we'll just backtrack a little bit. We, we've sort of gone into the rehearsals there, but we'll just go to what happens before that. So I guess the first question about, you know, being a deputy stage manager is, is where do you start? Um, and I mean, before, you're in the rehearsal room, just, you know, you've just found out you're going to be DSM on the show, you've been sent the script, you've been sent all the information. What's, you know, what are the first couple of things that you do? Yeah. So, um, first of all, I read the script. Um, and I like to do that in my own time before the first read through, just so that there's no surprises or, or anything where, say, there's like a crazy scene change described in the uh, stage directions so that I'm not like in the room uh, very <laughs> taken aback by that um, and also I kind of like to have information about who's working on it whether that's cast creatives or production team so that I can introduce myself if possible so if there's people I've not worked with before I like to send an email to those people to introduce myself and just ask uh, questions in terms of how they like to work maybe so for example um, if it's a new director checking in with them um about how they like to do breaks and things so some directors for example are really um strict on timekeeping and like to be reminded um when there's a break coming up when they're due to change what they're doing in the rehearsal room so say if they've set aside 30 minutes for a specific scene and then 30 minutes for a different scene they like to be prompted on that so asking questions casually that will just hopefully make day one a little bit more um cohesive that's kind of what I like to do before I get into the room and you spoke about um reading the script um what you know what 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 do you do when you're reading the script are you reading for the story are you reading for you know specifically design elements and prop elements uh do you you know do you make notes do you, how do you sort of approach a script so I like to at least read the script once without considering those areas because even though obviously a big part of the job as a DSM or as a stage manager is being aware of those elements, you're still a part of like the creative team and making a creative performance. So again, this is something that I took from my stage management lecturer. She always recommended that the first time you read a script, it should be for pleasure and it should be just to kind of 
uh, experience it as if you're an audience member and like have an initial response to it and see see what kind of feeling you get from it and then so usually I would do that before the rehearsal uh, sorry before the first read through um, or I would make the first read through that but usually um, I think it's more efficient to do it ahead of the first read through because usually extra jobs get thrown upon you on the day of the first read through so yeah usually I like to read it ahead of the first read through just for for what it is and just to kind of take it in as a creative piece of writing. You know you spoke a bit about you might get in touch and reach out and send some emails to people um, before you get in the room. Are there any other sort of key parts of those relationships with um, members of the creative team before you get in the room? Do you have much contact with other people on that creative or production team? Um, yes, but more so when I'm a stage manager as opposed to a DSM. So um, as a stage manager, often I might get sent um, any plans in advance. But to be fair, this is also applicable to a DSM. So, for example, if there's already a set design in place or a model box or any venue information that can be passed on from the production manager, a lot of those things get sent on in advance of rehearsals, which is always really useful because then when um, everybody's in that introductory session and talking about what the plans are for the piece. I have references, whether that's images or information that I can add to the conversation. So if, if someone, for example, has a question about the venue because they've never been to this particular place, I might have um, a venue plan and I can be like, oh, it's proscenium or whatever it is. And uh, it's this kind of size, the audience capacity is this, um, the stage is raised or there's a nice backstage area. Um, just extra little details that just sort of reassure people and give them a, a bigger picture of what's to come. Brilliant. And um, moving forward to the experience of the first day of rehearsals, um, how's that for you? And I don't just mean practically, but, you know, how do you feel before you get in the room? Do you get nervous or? Um, it does depend on the show and the company. I, I think it's fair to say that I'm always nervous before the first day of a job uh, because I want to go in and I want to make a good impression. But also I just like I really want to do a good job. So um I, I naturally have nerves, but it's those excited nerves as opposed to like dreading it nerves. Um, uh, just because as well, like if you don't know a team very well, it is a little bit nerve wracking because you, for example, um, you'll be spending quite a lot of hours with them. So not knowing their personalities or their senses of humor or just kind of what their response is like, um, especially with stress, um, because that's that's something that plays a lot into my job as a DSM is um, obviously I'm managing a room full of people and naturally with the process of making theatre sometimes things get stressful so it is a bit nerve-wracking not knowing what a team is like and sometimes uh, not knowing how potentially a show is going to be staged because uh, it might be written down one way but you don't know necessarily what the director's plans are and whether they're going to go completely away from what's written on the page in terms of if there are specific stage directions or set descriptions there might be plans already um, to do something very different so yeah it is a little bit nerve-wracking. And what are your priorities on, on that first day or those first couple of days what are the things that you're really keen to establish and um, what, what things do you need to do at the top of your to-do list? Um, so from the DSM point of view, um, we mentioned uh, read-throughs a little bit earlier. I definitely, as the read-through is happening, I time it. 
and try to do it accurately. So for example, if we pause to have a discussion about something, um, I try to pause the timer because it's always useful to have that initial timing because it does give it quite an accurate estimate for the length of a show because obviously it's just the reading of the words on the page rather than the inclusion of choreography or set changes and things like that. So it's a good indicator for the kind of time frame of the show. Um, I also circle anything that's going to influence myself directly as a DSM. So if there's prop information, there's descriptions in terms of technical stuff. So whether that's music, uh, a specific sound cue like thunder crashing or lighting cues like lightning flashes, um, I underline or circle all of those things so that as I go back through in rehearsals, I'm aware if something's going to be uh, introduced externally from what's happening in the room just because it's always good to kind of consider everything while it's being rehearsed um, later on in the process. Brilliant and how about um, relationships so um, in terms of the actors you know how will you how will you begin that relationship at the start of a process when working with a new team of actors for example? That's um, a really good question because it really does depend on the people in the room. Um, I try to um, get involved because I think it's a really important thing to try to get on with the people you're working with. Um, and I think a really good way to do that as a DSM sometimes is just to get involved in whatever the warm-up game is. <laughs> so um, for example, um, whether that's a physical warm-up, um, I don't usually join in with vocal warm-ups because <laughs> I'm not practiced in that because I'm not a performer. So if, if I'm honest, I'd be a bit embarrassed doing a vocal warm-up uh, just because that's not something I'm practiced in. But in terms of like physical warm-ups, I'm happy playing a game um, or like, yeah, joining in with physical stuff like uh, like stretches and stuff like that. Because also I'm beginning my day as well. So I do sometimes need to wake up a little bit. And I find that that also helps me to then get into the same headspace as somebody else but um also trying to spend time with people on tea breaks and stuff obviously it does depend on like the needs of um what's happening on the day so if there's a lot going on sometimes I might not come and spend like a, a full lunch hour with um the cast I might be spending it with somebody else because we need to have a catch-up and that's the only time they're available but I try to spend my breaks with the people in the room as well just because then I'm also getting to know them uh, while they're getting to know each other. And does that feel um, does that feel natural, or do you feel like sometimes that it, it's easy for the actors to sort of bond as an ensemble, and and the production and creative team often feel like a different thing, or or does it does it sort of tend to blend quite naturally? I find that as a DSM, it does blend more naturally, and I think that's because of the amount of time a DSM spends in the rehearsal room, because they're there usually throughout the whole of rehearsals. Whereas if I'm a stage manager, I do find it's less natural because I'm not always in the room other than potentially like to drop things off or to come and watch a run through. Um, so it does depend on the roles um, and also the nature of like work schedules. So usually the DSM will have the same kind of hours as the cast in terms of in the day, whereas a stage manager sort of manages their time differently. And so talking about the rehearsal period itself, uh, what, are you, what are you doing in the rehearsals? What are you, what's on your jobs list? <laughs> it's um, often a never ending jobs list. Um, and there are lots of things that can go on it. Um, so from the perspective of a DSM on my jobs list is, the biggest thing on my jobs list is the prompt book or the technical script, which is a, um, 
a folder that contains the script and it contains everything else that's relevant to the production. Um, so for example, um, it will have blocking information, It will, which um, is like any choreography or anything that's important. So uh, in terms of movement, so whether that's people coming on and off, whether that's people standing in a particular position, um, whether that's people using certain furniture in a certain way, um, but also things like pauses and stuff are important. Although they're not literal blocking in terms of movement, they are important to the flow of cue sequences, for example. Um, and also it's good for me to have notes like that because sometimes a performer will um, consistently um, perform lines in with the same kind of pause. So for example, later when it comes to cueing, just being aware of that um, from the rehearsals uh, is really useful. In terms of other documents that go into this book, so there's usually schedules, so rehearsal schedules and call sheets are a big thing on my to-do lists. Um, and again, depending on the director, depends on how much of that I have. So some directors like to do their own schedules, whereas others will be like, I want to work on this um, and this is the hours we've got to do it. Would you mind having a look through um, through the script and seeing who needs to be called and you just sort of managing it yourself? Um, and again, depending on the plans that the director already has will depend on like how far in advance a call sheet might be. So some directors might do daily call sheets where people just expect to be in nine till five, but um, at the end of the day, they just check their emails to check whether they might be called a little bit later in the morning or whether they'll be leaving earlier the following day because they're not needed. Um, or sometimes uh, a call sheet might list a whole week and it's a pretty rigid structure. So having access to those in the room as well is something that I have in my book and that's something that is an ongoing thing that I update in terms of my to-do list. Um, making notes of props and set and costume pieces. So. As rehearsals go on, more of those elements start to come in as people start to finish making costumes or sourcing props and things like that. So keeping track of those and any notes on those things um, is a really important part of um, being a DSM in the rehearsal room. And usually that's done in a way called rehearsal notes, which is a document that gets distributed at the end of each rehearsal to the entire production team. And usually it's what I mentioned before about eavesdropping on, on conversations. Usually it sort of has any of that information that I've picked up in the rehearsal room that's gonna influence other people's to-do lists. So um, it's kind of funny that my to-do list is also updating other people's to-do lists. Um, and then also keeping an eye on risks in the room. Health and safety is a massive part of the stage management department. Um, and because as a DSM, I'm the one that will learn the show the most in the rehearsal room. Um, often I will start drafting a, re re uh, a risk assessment that will get passed on to somebody else, um, which will then be updated in the technical rehearsals. But usually that's something on my to-do list that I keep updating as things go. Let's have a think what else is on my to-do list. There's usually lots of things on the to-do list, but it's so dependent on the nature of the show and what comes up on the day. So, um, and in terms of schedules and deadlines as well. So my to-do list will also change depending on when things are due. So if, for example, I know we've got a stagger through or a stumble run coming up, I will make sure that I'm sort of getting props into rehearsals if that's part of my responsibility um, before that day so that they're ready 
in advance and people know what they're doing with them. And so where is it that you're, you know, you're trying to get to by the time that the rehearsals finish? What, what, what is it that you're sort of trying to achieve? From the perspective of a DSM, I'm trying to have as much information as possible about the show ready to go into technical rehearsals. So that includes like knowledge of choreography, knowledge of where props get um, put down by actors, knowledge of where they come in and out from, knowledge of where they stand so that um, if, for example, a lighting designer is unfamiliar with a scene, they could ask me and I could have that information to hand either by memory, by video recordings that I might have taken in rehearsals or uh, from the blocking that's in the prompt book. Um, so yeah, just having like as much information that will be useful for everybody as possible is the kind of like end goal of rehearsals. Great. That's yeah. That's really clear. And and what are some of the common challenges that come up against that you come up against, like to to prevent you achieving that? I guess um, people um, sort of being indecisive in the process, which is something that is completely natural because obviously part of making theatre, depending on the way that you make your theatre, can be exploring ideas. And sometimes if a scene is not quite where you want it to be towards the end of a rehearsal, there's something not quite right, um, they might want to change it very close to going into a technical rehearsal, which obviously just means that then I'm going into the technical technical rehearsal with a scene that I'm not super familiar with um, so that can be a challenge if there's like last minute changes or a need for something last minute so for example uh, suddenly we realize actually we need this really important prop um, that we've overlooked or this piece of costume that's really key for a character in this moment um, things like that can become difficult because obviously everybody else also have dead has deadlines going into that technical week and they also have have to manage their time so yeah just little things like that that come up really late in the process become a bit of a challenge but not an unachievable challenge and um as we move closer to the shows like how does that role start to change how does it transition from the person in the room to uh you know the person in the seats or away from the stage during tech rehearsals yeah that is the biggest change really as a dsm is going from being sat next to the director and really close to all the cast to suddenly either being at a production desk or in um, a prompt area um, because suddenly my role is drastically changed from being sort of like the immediate point of call for the cast to being uh, more closely the point of call to the technical department because the technical week is obviously where they're putting into practice all of the things they've been preparing for as opposed to rehearsals are the part where the actors are really preparing obviously in technical rehearsals they still like learn and um take in everything that's happening around them in terms of tech because obviously things like costume changes and uh big sound uh cues and things like that come into it that maybe they've not had experience with but i feel like the biggest change is that i become more of an immediate point of call to the creative team and the production team as opposed to the cast and how does that feel to be you know playing such a key role and getting the show ready for an audience how does that pressure feel when you when you get into a tech rehearsal i find it really exciting and i think i'm a little bit of an unusual person in that i really love technical rehearsals and tech weeks i know a lot of people that dread them and they're like uh oh tech week next week feeling really stressed about that but i find it really exciting because for me that's just the part where like everything that i've been working on comes together and i'm 
really uh, supporting it in coming together because I'm using all the knowledge I've gained in rehearsals on the way the show is and then sort of using that to help the technical team uh, in making their jobs um, a bit easier and just sort of like, yeah, assisting where I can in terms of information that maybe they've not had during the rehearsals or maybe they've thought, actually, now I'm seeing it in front of me, maybe I want to change something. But I find it really exciting. Um, and yeah, I do think that is um, <laughs> an odd point of view for it because as I said, I do think other people find Tech Weeks quite stressful, but I just find it like a challenge and I really like challenges because that's how I improve. and if I don't face challenges, then I'm just going to sort of plateau. And I think the most exciting work offers challenges. So yeah, it kind of becomes worth it when, um, yeah, when it comes to the tech week, if I don't feel challenged, then something's gone a bit, gone a bit wrong for me. I think I've not, there's something that I've missed if I don't, <laughs> if I'm finding it too easy. And, and the tech weeks when the adrenaline starts kicking then from, from what you're saying? Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because it's when you start, it's just things become harder for the DSM because that's the point where now you um, have to call the show or operate the show. So now you have to use the knowledge of where people go and how people say things and adapt with extra things that get thrown on top of you in terms of lighting cues, sound cues, um, any changes that happen backstage. It's just, yeah, it's, um, it's it, because of the challenge that it brings, it does naturally get my adrenaline going. Um, but as I said, I don't mind that, and I quite enjoy that. Could you just uh, talk us through maybe how a tech day runs from the moment the actors arrive to the end of the day? Um, so, usually the start of the day is introducing the cast to the space. If, if this is if... Um, yeah, this is from the perspective of a DSM. So usually, um, as the get-in happens, a DSM isn't always in the space, uh, as in the venue space. Usually that's where the stage manager is, and the DSM stays in the rehearsal room up until the first tech day. So day one is introducing the cast, and sometimes myself, to the venue, if I've not... Um, if I've not already visited it after rehearsals or between rehearsals. So making sure that they know the backstage space, they know where the dressing rooms are, they know where to get water, where to go to the toilet, where they can get food, um, and then showing them their way from the dressing room onto the stage. And then usually it's a walkthrough of the set, so um, which is when we allow them to sort of explore the set if they've not seen it or been on it usually they won't have but um it's it's very much like a health and safety thing but also it's just a chance for them to sort of um answer any questions they've had uh, from the rehearsals so for example if they've been like hmm i'm supposed to come on here but then i'm supposed to go off that way but i'm not sure if i take this door or this door which makes sense and then when they're in the space they can see it and walk things through so often walking through entrances and exits is something that i recommend the cast do um if there's levels get showing them or demonstrating how to get up and down equipment safely so for example if there's steps or ladders or anything on the set that um, we just give them a little induction into the best way to kind of get up and down safely um, and it, it feels a little bit like you're teaching them to suck eggs but actually sometimes there's really uh, key bits of information that um, this is the opportunity to pass it on just to make sure they're safe and happy and also it's a relaxed 
space. So if they have any concerns, so for example, if they're nervous of um, the way the steps, uh, the way they have to get up the steps and things like that, we get our own time with full lighting um, to explore it and just kind of work together to make sure they feel comfortable with everything that's on stage. So that's sort of at the start of the day. Then we get ourselves into preset and try to work through the show from the start to the end. But usually the bits that take the longest are the opening of a show and the ending of an act and then the opening of the next act and the ending of the show. Usually the transition from having the audience in the space to the show beginning or the show recommencing is the most difficult sequence because um, there's just so much that goes on in terms of backstage and cast at the same time. Whereas once the show's up and going, everybody's in their flow. So yeah, usually um, we go into a technical session and we do go from the start to the end. Sometimes, um, so later on in the technical rehearsals, so say for example, if we come back after lunch and we're due to do a section of the show that involves a fight, but it's not at the start of the scene, Often if we know we're going to get to that fight, we might have a go at doing that fight call before we do the rest of the scene, just so that, um, because sometimes when there's intense action, that's when there's a lot of cues going on to sort of amplify the tension. So um, making sure the cast and everybody is happy with how it is before we introduce the tech um, is really important. And that's something we try to do as well. But then, yeah, it's going through it step by step from, from the start to the end and addressing things as they come up and as we go along. Brilliant, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, what, what happens once the show is up and running? I mean, I guess um, it, it varies per production, but could you talk us through, you know, your role during the actual live performances? Yeah, so um, as the DSM, usually um, I'll be giving people show calls in advance of the show day, and then they'll come in for their call times, and usually there's a vocal and physical warm-up in the space, um, and so I sort of supervise that while also doing whatever it is I need to do in terms of pre-show checks. So whether that's um, supervising or assisting a technician to do a rig check, which is when they just check that all the, the lights in the rig are working as they should be. Um, we'll often do, if there's microphones, a mic check, either at the end of the warm-up or while they do their vocal warm-up, just so that it um, kills two birds with the one stone. And then um, usually the cast go into their dressing rooms to get ready and to get into costume. And then I usually then start to preset props if that's uh, if there's not an ASM or stage manager that's doing that. Um, it's not traditional that the DSM does that part, but um, that sometimes is something I'll do. But I often do a shout check with an ASM or an SM as a DSM, uh, rather than um, necessarily presetting them myself. So that involves going through the props list and I'll be the one with the props list and I'll literally list each prop and the ASM or stage manager will shout check. And it's just a way that if there is something missing, we spot it with a second pair of eyes because sometimes naturally um, something might get forgotten if there's been notes from the day before or anything like that. And um, it's just a chance for us as a stage management team to check in, make sure we're, we've got the most up to date lists and also that everything is ready where it needs to be. Then, um, as a DSM, I'll be doing backstage calls, and this happens sort of at the same time as all of these things like warm-ups and checks, because basically I'm really uh, keeping an eye on the time. So um, 
there's a thing called beginners, which is five minutes before the show begins. Um, and then there's calls at set times before that time. So there's a five minute call, which is technically 10 minutes before the show begins. There's the quarter of an hour call and there's the half. Um, so as we get closer to the show, I'll be making those calls either to the stage or to the stage and backstage, depending on where the cast is and where the show running team is. Um, and then sometimes that coincides. Usually when, when you get to the quarter, it starts to coincide with front of house calls. So mentioning, um, that the doors are going to be opening soon or that the doors are open and then once the doors are open you usually do auditorium calls saying the show will begin in five minutes uh, please take your seats and things like that just to help front of house usher everybody into the space if it's a traditional theatre space. During the show then um, so once the audience are in and you get your front of house clearance uh, the show begins and as a DSM um, I'm usually calling lighting and other elements. Um, often as a DSM I've operated sound um, in the form of QLab because um, sometimes it's easier for the DSM to do that because they are so familiar with the show that they just are really accurate with sound cues um, and often I'll have practiced with those in a rehearsal room so um, I know exactly when they come and also it just prevents any delay response times. So for example, if it's really important that a sound effect goes off at a precise moment, it's literally gonna happen as soon as I press that button as opposed to me calling the sound cue, the sound operator receiving that and then pressing the button because obviously the more the more you add in between the cue and the actual pressing of the button, the, the more likely there is to be a delay. So often I'll be operating sound, but calling lighting or projections or other elements like fly cues and backstage cues. Uh, so sometimes I'll be cueing people on stage uh, and that might be um, audibly to somebody on comms backstage or that might be through cue lights, which is basically um, at the DSM desk, there's um, a system that has standby lights and go buttons and you uh, it's, it's quite sounds quite self-explanatory but essentially um, you stand by whatever it is whether it's lighting or backstage and then you press the go button for which highlights it green so they know to go on because sometimes for example um, an actor backstage might have to wait for a particular thing to have happened but if they're backstage they might not be able to see that thing so me giving them a go button just means that they know it's happened and they can come on and it makes sense in terms of the script for them to come on at that point or audibly they'll receive it through whoever I'm giving it to on comms. Um, and then, then we get to the interval and sometimes there's a changeover, but usually as a DSM, I would stay in the prompt corner or prompt box because I give front of house calls during the interval, which is very similar to the ones at the start where you give sort of 10 minute and five minute and about to begin warnings to the audience so that we usher them back in and we get back up on time. Um, and then the show recommences and act two is very similar to act one in terms of, yeah, calling the show. Um, at the same time as the show's going on, um, I am timing it. I should have probably mentioned this at the start because as soon as we go up, I start a stopwatch to time each act or the whole show. And 
I have a little notebook where I make notes for show reports. So for example, if something goes wrong or goes against what the director wished, then that's something I make a note of and write up at the very end of the show um, and distribute to the whole team. So for example, if I accidentally got a cue late, I would make a note of that. Or if an actor missed an entrance, um, I'd make a note of that. Usually I try to give some context as to why it happened. Um, so um, for example, just, well, just so that, because the idea of the show report is to obviously give a clear picture of how the show went for the rest of the team. So I just think the more details you can provide, the better an idea they have of how it went. And also, I usually try to put a suggestion in on how we're planning to resolve the issue. So for example, if it was late because I called it late, I might suggest that I practice that cue sequence before the next show, or I might mention that I'm gonna edit my book so that I have a prompt so that I know what went wrong and how to do it correctly next time. Um, so that's something that also happens during the show. And so clearly there's a lot of um, you know responsibility on the role. Um, to what extent do you see being a deputy stage manager as a leadership role? Yeah, it feels like a leadership role for certain, even though it's deputy stage manager. Um, because as a DSM, often you do have people above you in terms of a stage manager or a production manager or a company stage manager, but you still definitely are the representative for the cast. And so it does feel in a little way like, like you are a manager. Well, I guess it's in the job title, isn't it? Deputy stage manager. So it definitely is a leadership role in some way, even though it has deputy at the start of it. Um, and in terms of people skills, um, the leadership definitely comes into it when it comes to technical rehearsals and shows because you are definitely managing the show as it happens. So if, for example, something drastic goes wrong in terms of a, a scene change, so say, for example, something in the flies has gotten stuck and it needs to come in before we start the next scene, that's something that I, as a DSM, with the most knowledge of the show, usually help to resolve. Um, but that's in my personal experience, and this isn't the case for every kind of show and every team. So often on bigger shows, that's more of a stage manager responsibility. Often the stage manager is backstage to be there in case of an emergency, rather than um, doing physical tasks, or they're doing tasks that are really related to health and safety. But as the DSM, in my experience, I've often been the one that's tried to... Um, help fix a problem because I'm the one that's got the most information and also I can adapt the show on the fly in terms of queuing. So another example is if, for example, an actor accidentally skips a lot of dialogue and that was a queue heavy section um, or influences other people's um, other people. So whether it means an actor has to come on stage quite a lot earlier or um, a scene change needs to be quicker backstage because we've missed out on some time. Things like that are things that I will communicate as a leader and um, I will guide us through it. So I will usually make an executive decision of, okay, this is what happens based on my knowledge, we're gonna skip to this queue. So lighting operator, please do this. Sound operator, please do this. Stage management, please prepare for this. And we're all gonna go on my go. I usually wouldn't say the word go in the, in the <laughs> explanation of it because that could accidentally trigger something usually you say the word geo um 
just so there's no confusion because for example when comms sometimes cut out if you just hear the vowel o you assume there's been a go and if you're in standby you will be like oh that's probably my go and you will yeah you will trigger something so yeah that's yeah very much the leadership element of the dsm brilliant and um yeah thank you that's that's so clear and um a question i'm interested in is how do you judge success from the perspective of a dsm like what what are the things that um you know at the end of the run that you look back on and and how do you judge whether that's that job's gone well or not i think um as a dsm i really judge success on the happiness of the team um which obviously has its pros and cons but what i mean is um as a dsm i'm really trying to make the team work together as cohesively as i can and because we're we're all working towards the same end goal we're all wanting to put on a show and we're all we've all got our own individual ambitions for the show but at the end of the day we all want to put put on a really good quality show so as a dsm for me the thing that i look for is whether the team have managed to work together cohesively because that's the indicator on whether i um was successful in my job because that usually indicates communication was good throughout the process i've managed the technical rehearsal in um, an efficient way because everybody had time to get their jobs done and just the fact that we've made the show and got it got it in front of an audience that's a massive indicator that we've all managed to um use our time wisely and do everything to the best of our ability Brilliant. Thanks, Danny. Um, so we'll move on to some listener questions, um, which we've had a few of and covered quite a few different areas. So uh, let me just fire these away at you. Um, so the first one is from Andrew, who asks, as an actor, what could I do that would make your life easier? There's lots of like little things that I think are quite easy to do as an actor. So, for example, um, in technical rehearsals, often the actors end up having to stand around for quite a bit um, because usually when we stop a technical rehearsal it's because something's gone wrong on our end and we we can't continue running it and fix the problem at the same time we, we're gonna have to pause to address the problem and then go back and check that the problem's fixed and because we've um, had to stop usually it's quite an intense conversation that we're having as a technical team because we're like that problem was quite drastic to the point we had to stop so now we need to work out how to fix it and then what we do on comms is have a discussion like can we fix the problem okay you're going to do this you're going to do that okay get in updates and i usually try to communicate to everybody else who's not on comms what's happening but sometimes while we're having the discussion on and making the decisions on what we need to do gradually in the room because we've stopped um conversations start to happen that are off comms that aren't related to what's happening because obviously when you're stood still um it's a bit boring isn't it so you want to have a conversation with the person next year um but that makes it really quite hard when you're on comms to concentrate and especially because you're thinking quite hard about whatever the problem is you're having to come up with a solution so you're really using your brain and i personally find it quite hard to use my brain to that capacity while it's a really noisy room so just sort of being mindful in a technical rehearsal about the volume that you're speaking at when we stop is something that is so small and i often when i um I'm in a technical rehearsals and actors start to speak and they gradually get louder and louder. Often I sort of mute my comms and just quickly address it. And I'm like, 
can we have some quiet please? And then I go back to comms. So it sounds quite abrupt and quite rude, but the reason I'm speaking in that sort of efficient sentence is because we're really trying to get to the bottom of a problem and I'm trying to get that problem resolved as quickly as possible. So I don't have time to sort of sugarcoat sentences. Um, so just being aware that if ever a stage manager in a technical week uh, speaks to you in that abrupt manner, it's not a personal thing. It's just that they're literally trying to save time in every way possible. And sometimes that's using less words in a sentence. Um, and just bearing in mind, although you might be stood still and not doing anything, other people in the room are definitely working really, really hard. Um, so just kind of being mindful of that is something that would definitely make our life easier in tech week. And it would be very much appreciated by every stage manager I've ever met. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. Um, question number two comes from Emma. Uh, what are your top tips to get ahead and stay sane on Tech Week? That's a really good question. As a DSM, something that I do to get ahead is if I know there's going to be a really heavy queuing section where there's just loads and loads of queues and I know it's going to be really difficult, I try to get those queues to me before tech week if it's possible so then I can write them into my prompt book and then when we rehearse that scene in a rehearsal usually by that point where we're nearing tech week the actors don't need prompting or I'm not writing blocking anymore because we've made decisions on on that so it gives me an opportunity to have a look at the cues and sort of have a little practice to myself while it's being run in a room that's not under the same pressure as a technical rehearsal. So I don't always do this out loud, but sometimes I do sort of mime it, but I try, I don't want to be a distraction in the room. So usually I do this in my head, but um, having a go at queuing a sequence to a rehearsal is something that I definitely would recommend if it's something that you know you're gonna, you're gonna need extra time on because actually it's really difficult. Um, and if that's not possible, so for example, um, the person can't give you the cues um, that far ahead. Sometimes I do it to a video of um, a run through or a video of a scene. Um, so usually if it's a difficult uh, sequence physically, as well as in terms of cues, there's usually a video that I've taken of it so that I can give it to a lighting designer as a reference to build their cues to. So then once they've given me those cues, which they've already made to that sequence, I might have a go in my own time at practicing cueing to the video. And this is a bit of an embarrassing thing to admit, but I have been known to use sticky notes, make myself a little um, a little cue light system in front of me <laughs> and literally have a practice, put a headset on, put the video in front of me on a laptop and literally practicing cueing it out loud and pressing the cue lights. <laughs> um, I've only done this once um, because there's only been one show where I've really, really been like, this is really difficult. I'm gonna have to put the time in before the technical rehearsal. Um, but I do, um, do do the other thing that I said, which is about like queuing it in a rehearsal room or yeah, or doing it in a time that feels appropriate outside of the technical rehearsal. Um, so that's definitely a tip that I would say to get ahead as a DSM. Um, in terms of staying sane on Tech Week, this probably applies to being a DSM and a stage manager and any other role. I would 100% recommend leaving the space on breaks. So a lunch break, a tea break, a dinner break, I would totally recommend, even if you brought a packed lunch, trying to get outside or just out of that space because it it 
for me, does wonders for my head because sometimes you don't realise how hard you've been concentrating until you stop. And in a dark space like a theatre, um, it's not really a relaxing environment. Some people might find it relaxing, but I, because it's associated with my work, I don't find it relaxing to stay in a space on a, on a break. So I try to go for a walk um, or sit outside if it's nice weather or join the team um, if they're going somewhere to pick up lunch or dinner or something like that because it just is a little little hour of escape that honestly will do wonders for your for your mind when you come back to it in an hour in the in the space so that's what I'd recommend for staying sane. Thank you so much uh, the next question is from Joanna who asks what has been the biggest challenge in your career so far? Um, so as a DSM my biggest challenge is the one I just mentioned uh, about <laughs> I was doing a very cute heavy show called Us Against Whatever by Middle Child Theatre. And um, as a DSM, that's been the most challenging show I've done because that's been the most cues I've had in a show. But I absolutely loved it. And um, it's made me a better DSM because if I could cue that, I can cue anything. <laughs> um, obviously, there will be shows that I've seen DSMs on shows that have had like up to a thousand cues in so I know that there are busier shows but at the point I'm at in my career in terms of challenges that's been the biggest DSM challenge I've had um in terms of being a stage manager I think the biggest challenge I've had was um when I was also production managing Canary and the Crow as well as being the stage manager because that's the first time I've sort of um just been in a team of one in terms of stage management, but had quite a challenge ahead of me in terms of the the show. It was a small show in terms of cast and size. There was no set and things like that. But in terms of like managing every aspect of it, because I was in charge of everything because I was the stage manager and the production manager. So in terms of costumes, I had to make sure they got to the place um, that is in the venue. I had to make sure they were washed. I had to make sure props and set were all um, were all in good condition. And I say there was no set. The only bit of set was a table, but it was a pop-up table that we'd put up very quickly and take down very quickly. So even just making sure that that wasn't broken between shows, things like that. So that was a big challenge because that's the most sort of I've had to... Um, really push myself in terms of time management um, and prior learning to prioritise what's what's needed to be done sooner. But um, again, it was a challenge I absolutely love doing. And again, I learned so much from doing it. So those are my biggest challenges, but they were a pleasure to have. <laughs> Brilliant. I've got two quick fire ones to bring us to a close. So first up, we have uh, Mark asking, have you ever had to go on stage for a poorly actor? And if not, would you? Um, it's only ever come up, I think, once, um, where there was a lead role in a pantomime, and that was um, The Mermaid in The Little Mermaid Pantomime by Middle Child. Um, poor Ali Beaumont had a very poorly chest, and it came up in discussion about like who would replace her if she's too sick to go on stage. Um, and obviously, as for that, I was a DSM. So obviously I had the most knowledge in terms of where everybody is and who says what lines. Because one of the fun things about being a DSM is because you're so familiar with the script, you get to a point where you know everybody's lines. And um, that obviously would be really helpful if you then had to be a performer. But 
the only thing about that is then if I then went on stage as a performer who then replaces me as a DSM because nobody else has that knowledge or that experience of the process and the show so for example if something went wrong with me if I was a performer um I, would somebody who came in to stand in for me as a DSM know what to do um so there's pros and cons to it really um it really would depend on the situation if to whether I would do it. Um, in that example that I just gave, I didn't need to do it. We had another actor come in to shadow and then they ended up doing the role because sadly Ali did get too sick to do the role. Um, but yeah, it really depends on the show. And so for example, if it was a show that had like one cue and it was just lights up and lights down at the start and the end, and there was no set or anything like that, so for example like a one woman show if i fitted the role um and i felt comfortable doing it i would consider it but i can't give a guaranteed yes or no to that i think because it's so dependent on the situation um and we won't yeah. hold you to that i promise <laughs> <laughs> this is now recorded forever so yeah <laughs> um uh, so our final listener question uh, is a, a simple one uh, hopefully um from ellen what is your favorite part of the whole process oh that's a lovely question um I think my favourite part is either Tech Week or Show 1 or 2 um, because Tech Week is just, for me, so much fun um, because, as I said earlier, it's just the part where like everything comes together and the vision of what you've been in the rehearsal room making just comes to life in front of you as you start to add all these elements. So I think tech week and technical rehearsals are my favorite part. But the uh, yeah, I mentioned show one or show two. That's because that's sort of when you then get to see how the audience respond for the first time. But the reason I say show one or show two is because sometimes if, for example, show one went really badly because that was the there were loads of changes happening in dress rehearsals and then suddenly show one just felt like a dress rehearsal. Sometimes that's more stressful than it is enjoyable. But um, so sometimes show two is the one for me that's like a bit of a favourite because once you've done show one, that's like the big hurdle, the biggest hurdle of them all, you've got over it. So everything after that should start to get easier. So um, yeah, it's as a DSM, it's the technical rehearsal process but as a stage manager it's show one slash show two because that's when you get to sort of feel the audience response brilliant thank you so much and thanks everyone to your questions uh, you can send questions in future uh, for future episodes to ideas at middlechildtheatre.co.uk and we'd also love to hear if you have any suggestions for people you'd like to interview or things you'd like us to uh, find out more about um danny thanks so much it's been it's been great it's been great to chat thank you yeah it's been a pleasure um, everybody else, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next month with a different guest on a different subject. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Middle Child Make Theatre and do please get in touch uh, with us on ideas at middlechildtheatre.co.uk if you have any suggestions, questions or anything you'd like to follow up on. Thanks so much, take care of yourselves and we'll see you soon. Bye.